0: Good morning, everyone. Please open a Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We'll only be looking at one verse in it today, but I still think it'd be helpful if you opened there, you can kind of see where this verse sits in Matthew 5. We're in a series on the Beatitudes of Jesus. We saw last week uh, that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is inviting us into his upside-down kingdom, inviting us to follow him into his upside-down kingdom as the only place to find the truly happy life. That it's in these Beatitudes, Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And so we're gonna look at the first one today, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you ever get the sense that humans in general are getting worse, behaving worse, that that human morality is declining. I was reading an article in a a scientific research journal. I don't always do that, but I found this one. Uh, And it actually started with that premise that most people in the world today, so not most Christians, not most people in America, most people in the world believe that human morality is declining. And the authors of this article were actually trying to, to research and find out is that truly happening or is it just our perception? Maybe we forget how, th- how bad things were in the past. But, but you can understand why most people feel this way. As you look at the world, uh, it seems like more and more often good is being called evil, and evil is being called good. As you look at the media and shows, TV shows, movies, it can feel like every one of them has an agenda that they're pushing us toward. And every influential person, every famous person, every powerful person is is leading us or, or drifting us away from God and further and further into depravity and as you as you just step back and look at the world, observe these things, read about these things, it's right for us as Christians to hate what God hates. And it's right for us to feel a sense of grief and anger. But yet it's a fine line, isn't it? It's a fine line that that drifts from grief or anger at sin into outrage, or self-righteous disgust and contempt, and we can find ourselves maybe, maybe praying, God, I thank you, or God, you're lucky that I'm not like all of those people out there. I'm glad, God, that I'm still righteous. As I, as I look at this world that's maybe the whole world is morally declining, but not me, I'm still the one here, God, who is righteous. I'm not like those deviant, immoral people out there. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself on a different side. Maybe you're not a Christian. Or you're, you're actually wondering or contemplating walking away from Christianity. And you look at Christians, and, and, and in a similar type of self-righteousness, you think, I'm glad at least I'm not like those hateful, self-righteous bigots. At least I'm still one who's showing love. And, and you realize this isn't just a religious problem, this is a, a human problem. We're all tempted to to think real highly of ourselves. It makes us feel better about ourselves, it makes us feel superior when we when we look at everyone else and we see the problem as out there and the self-righteousness, the self-confidence makes us Feel better, But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't actually make us feel better? What if our self-confidence and our self-righteousness is actually deadly? And it's actually deadening to our own souls. And this is why Jesus opens his sermon that the very first words that he says... Blessed, you want to find the truly happy life, the truly flourishing life, the path that leads to true happiness, it's found here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. True happiness begins by admitting my poor, desperate condition. It doesn't actually come from looking at everyone else and feeling superior, feeling better, thinking my own self righteousness is what brings me happiness. True joy, true happiness actually comes from hitting rock bottom. Jesus, this is his first of these upside-down realities, these counterintuitive, countercultural things. As he says, you want true happiness, it starts here. It starts by poor in spirit. It's found in poverty. What's, what's Jesus saying here? Is this, this word that he uses, poor in spirit, the word poor, is. it's not just someone who's living paycheck to paycheck. It's not just someone who drives an old, beat-up car. No, it's actually the kind of poverty that he's mentioning is, is someone who's destitute, without resources at all, that finds themselves in a financial situation where there is no way they're going to climb out, that they have nothing to offer, and so they beg for help. But Jesus isn't speaking here of financial poverty, And so what is it, what is it in a a spiritual sense, when he says poor in spirit, what is it about financial poverty that teaches us a lesson that Jesus is using to show us about how our spirit should be? Someone who's this kind of poor, someone who's this kind of destitute is desperate. They're helpless. They have to depend on others for help. There's a character in a television show who finds himself overwhelmed with credit card debt, and it's it's piling up. He he, he realizes he's so far behind. There's no way he's going to catch up. And he, he's taking this second job, and he's looking for all these ways out. And one of his coworkers says, "Hey, listen, man. Here's the answer." You declare bankruptcy. It's like a get out of jail free card. It's nature's do-over. And so this is a comedy. And what happens in his mind is he's he's thinking, okay, I just need to declare bankruptcy. And what's funny is he doesn't know what that means. And so he steps out into this quiet workplace. There's people working at their computers, and he just steps out there and yells out, I declare bankruptcy. And everyone's just kind of looking at him. His accountant pulls him aside and says, you can't just say bankruptcy and think anything's going to happen. And he says, I didn't say it. I declared it. And what happens though, is he starts to realize this isn't going to help him, is that you see this overwhelming desperation take over. He actually runs away. He, he jumps on this train trying to think that this is gonna take me away from my problems. And it's a humorous scene because he doesn't understand what he needs to do. But what we can identify with is the kind of desperation that he's feeling. Maybe you've been there even financially. You've, just, you've looked at the bills, you've looked at your debt, and you've thought, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to I don't know how to get out. I, I look at the debt that I owe, and there is no way that I could ever pay it. I don't have the resources to to, to climb my way out. And this this is the kind of, of desperation that poverty brings when when you realize I can't do it. I need help. Jesus here is is saying that spiritually That's the condition of every one of us, that we are bankrupt, that we are helpless. As John Piper describes poor in spirit, he says these words. He says, it's a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. It's a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It's a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It's a sense of personal unworthiness before God. It, the reason he uses sense in every one of those is because all of those are true of everybody. So being poor in spirit is not just being that kind of poor, it's, it's being aware of it. It's admitting it. It's admitting that I have no resources to earn my way to God, work my way to God, to, to earn my kind of self-worth. It's, it's, the, it's the awareness and the admitting of the desperate condition that we're in, all of us have, have nothing to offer. It's like we, we come to, to buy a home and you, you show up to the bank and you open a briefcase full of monopoly money and it's no good. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It, cannot, it can't buy anything. And our righteousness, our own good works are, are like that. There's no resources in and of ourselves that can earn our way to God. We are spiritually bankrupt, destitute, needy. And what Jesus is inviting us into is to be aware of that because so often we're not. We look at our lives and we compare and we think, oh, I'm good enough because compared to to someone else and what I see in someone else. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, you say you're rich, that you've acquired wealth and you don't need anything, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Jesus is is speaking spiritually again in that sense that, that even if you have physical riches, even if you think you're doing fine in this life, what you don't understand is that spiritually you're destitute. You are so needy that you must throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and look to him for mercy Jesus tells a story in Luke 18. He's speaking to a crowd of religious people. He says he's speaking to those who have great confidence in their own righteousness. And they scorn everyone else and so he tells them this story speaking to a religious crowd they're obeying all the rules they're obeying all the laws they feel like they're a pretty righteous crowd and Jesus says this there's two men who went to a temple to pray one was a pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector so in their minds he's started with a hero and a villain and he's going to describe then their prayer he says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So, all he has done so far is thank God that he's so righteous, that he's done so many good works. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And here's Jesus' assessment of the two prayers. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled those who humble themselves will be exalted they started they started hearing that story as oh yeah here's the good guy one of us here's the clear villain the clear sinner and what does jesus do he flips it upside down he says you trust in your own righteousness you stand there thinking you're better than everyone else it's actually this sinner in his humility that leaves forgiven Because he has thrown himself at the mercy of Jesus rather than thinking that somehow he earns his way to Jesus. Here's here's a perfect example of what poor in spirit is. And, And this is why Jesus opens with this, I think. Think about that. These are the first words, the first beatitude, the first words that Jesus preaches in this sermon about what does life look like in his kingdom? The doorway, the starting point, the foundation is blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is saying the only way to come to me is by hitting rock bottom. If you're here today and you've never done that, You've never felt your desperate need. You've always felt like you're managing. You've always felt good enough. You've never come to this place of desperation where you cry out like this tax collector. Oh, God, be merciful to me. Then hear this invitation as a warning. You stand like this Pharisee, looking and comparing and thinking, I'm good enough. Look at the good that I have done. And Jesus says, it's, it's, you're kept at a distance. That's not the way into my kingdom. The way into my kingdom is to admit your need. True happiness begins by admitting my poor, desperate condition. If you're trusting in anything else, you you don't come to Jesus. You don't come to him for forgiveness. You can't come to him because you're, you're looking to your own good works. And so Jesus is saying, repent from that. Turn away from your sin or turn away from trusting in your own good works. Turn away from trusting in or following anything else and turn to me. Recognize your need. Admit your need. That's what poor in spirit is. There's an old hymn that says, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And friend, if you are here and you cry out to God like that, recognizing your need to him, he will wash you. He will wash away your sins. He will forgive you and you will find life itself. Invite you into that. Jesus is inviting you into that. But like so many of the aspects of discipleship or following Jesus, this isn't just a one-time thing. can't just be sitting here thinking, yes, I, I did that. I did the poor in spirit thing when I was five and I trusted in Jesus. No, Jesus is inviting believers, followers of him, to continue to cultivate this attitude of poor in spirit, continually recognizing how desperately we need him continually coming to him and believing the words that Jesus says in in John 15, where he says, without me, you can do nothing. Continually believing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And so if you received it, why do you boast as though it came from you? Or in Galatians, when he says, if you began in the spirit, why do you think you can now be made perfect through your flesh? And so there is a pull on us. Even those of us who are trusting in Jesus and and following him, there's there's a temptation to drift away from poor in spirit. Tim Keller calls it that, that we're more likely to be middle class in spirit. We're more likely to think, oh, I'm... I'm pretty good. Now that I'm following Jesus, he owes me some because I'm I'm doing the best I can. And we start, rather than recognizing our continual need for him, we start drifting into self-confidence. We start drifting back into self-righteousness. You know how I notice that happening in me? There's, There's two different, there's probably lots of ways, but two different key things that start showing up in my life when I'm drifting away from this attitude of poor in spirit. The first is that I'll, I'll start realizing that it doesn't feel like I need God as much. And so what starts, what starts lagging behind? It's, it's some of the spiritual disciplines of, of Bible reading and prayer church attendance community with God's people that one's kind of mandatory for me but for some of you uh, church attendance potentially but, but what 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 maybe maybe we keep doing those things even but instead of instead of looking to Jesus in desperate need i start thinking those disciplines earn my way to him I, I do these things. I read and I pray out of duty, out of obligation, because this somehow makes me a better Christian or somehow makes God happier with me. Instead of my prayers being, hungry, desperate need for God to be at work. I start thinking, I can do this on my own. I can, I can live this life on my own. And, and, and reading his word rather than coming to him desperately needing to see him and to, to know him and to want to see what he's, he's revealed about himself, it starts to become just mundane. So relationship with God changes. It drifts. When I'm, when I'm becoming more confident in my own flesh rather than desperately dependent on him. I see that change in the way that I'm demonstrating my need for God, but it also changes the way that I relate to other people. I start seeing more of the Pharisee in me, either in the way that I speak to people, in the way that I think about people. I start being more confident in my own righteousness and more skeptical, more scornful, more condescending, looking down on others. F- feeling, feeling rather than my desperate need for God, feeling, feeling like the way that I started, like I'm at least better than those people out there. And then the way that I treat them changes. And all all of those aspects of my relationship with God and my relationship with people change when I'm drifting away from poor in spirit. And so Jesus is inviting you in, saying true happiness, true joy, true flourishing actually starts with poverty. And it continues with poverty, continues with poor in spirit. So how, if, if I'm recognizing, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're seeing, okay, I have drifted. How do we cultivate more of this attitude of humility? How, how do we think rightly about ourselves? How do we fight against this, this temptation towards self-righteousness? I wanna look at three people in the Bible, that demonstrate this humble, poor-in-spirit attitude and see what got them there. The first, let's look at Job. Remember Job, he's suffering, he's lost everything, he's getting this counsel from people saying, curse God and die, and Job at first is trusting God, but yet then he does start to doubt him, does start to question him, and so God reveals himself to Job. In this vision, he says, Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of this world? And and so God begins to describe to Job just who he is. And when Job begins to see the greatness of God, look at how he responds. In Job 42, verse 5, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Where does, where does Job get his humility and recognizing how desperate he is before creator God? It's when he has this vision of who God is. In Isaiah, Isaiah has this vision. Of God. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he sees this throne room scene of God where these creatures are around the throne. And you remember they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah responds by saying, This, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw him and then he realized his own lowly condition, his poor, needy desperation before this holy, righteous, majestic God. And what comes out of his mouth? He says, woe to me. Last week, if you were here, so there's two different words that mean blessed in the Bible. One of them has as its opposite curse. There's blessing and a curse. But I said this, this word that Jesus uses when he says blessed are the poor in spirit, it's actually a different emphasis. And it's, it's saying happy or how joyful or how flourishing is the life. And so it's, it's holding up as the happy life, the good life. Do you know what the opposite of that word is? It's woe. And when you look at the way that Luke tells the Beatitudes, he gives some blessings and then he gives some woes. So he's holding up this contrast. And so Isaiah here is saying, oh, how miserable am I? How sad of condition when, when he looks at himself compared to God. When his eyes see the holiness of God, he's brought devastatingly low. Peter when he saw the power of Jesus on the lake of Gennesaret, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Okay. So what do we learn from all three of these? That You want to cultivate the attitude that Jesus is inviting you into the way that it happens. One of the ways that that happens is that you get a renewed vision of the greatness of who God is. So go to him in his word. Look for him in his word. Don't just just run to the commands and see, okay, yep, I'm feeling that one. I'm feeling that one. I'm feeling that one. That That can help. That can drive you to mercy and to cry out for grace. But also just going to God's word to to see who is God. Because I want to know him. I want to see him. I want to see him in his holiness and his righteousness and his majesty and his sovereignty and his greatness. That there is no one like him. No one thinks like him. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. And the more that the vision, that our understanding of who God is, is the more that that elevates the more we rightly see ourselves as poor, bankrupt, needy, sinful, wretched, poor, blind, and naked, and desperately dependent on him for grace. Why would we want to live like this? That sounds miserable. Why would we want to live this kind of upside-down Life of just focusing on how broken we are and how sinful we are and being poor in spirit. That's, that's upside down. It's opposite. So why does Jesus say we should pursue this? Well, listen to his words. These beatitudes, they're not written as commands. There's implied command there that we should live this way, but Jesus is inviting us in how? He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The way that Jesus is calling you to this is by saying, this is actually the best possible happy life you could pursue. Think about this. You might be here today because you blew it this week. That might be what got you to church. Because you messed up so bad. You feel the guilt. You feel the shame. I don't know what you did. Maybe no one knows what you did. But you're here overwhelmed in despair with your guilt. You are broken before God. You can't believe why you would have done that. Maybe it wasn't something unique this week. But just just being here, remembering who God is. You're feeling that sense of guilt and shame and weight. And you're, you're tempted to say what Isaiah said, woe is me. And, and now imagine Jesus lifting your gaze to look at him and he says, no, not woe to you. Blessed are you. Happy are you when you find yourself at rock bottom, when you find yourself actually admitting how wicked you are, when you find yourself actually realizing how desperate you are. Not woe to you. Blessed are you. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of what we think. And why? Why is that true? It's because that's what's essential for entering into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize that, who realize that they are poor in spirit, who admit their need, who cry out to God for mercy, who are so disgusted by your sin, so overwhelmed by your guilt that you look to him and plead for his grace. And he says, that's true happiness, Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says it in the present tense. You are part of God's kingdom. If you've turned away from your sin and you're you're throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus, trusting in his mercy that he died for your sins, that he rose again, that he alone can save you if you're looking to him for grace, then he says, you're already in my kingdom. And there are promises that are coming where these spiritual realities are going to be fully realized. Jesus says, you're already my son. You're already my daughter. I am yours. I have made a covenant that I will never turn my back on you. That it is not up to your righteousness. It's up to mine. Jesus says, I lived this in your place. You just come to me. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Amen. This is where true happiness is found. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What an amazing reality. This, this, backwards truth of Jesus is amazing. That what he's inviting us into, just imagine for a moment that every person in this room today leaves poor in spirit. That this week, this characteristic just rocks our world. There would be people here who for the very first time you admit Before God, I'm broken and I need you. And you would leave here today radically changed, finding life itself, all your sins, everything that you've done, things that you've forgotten that you've done, all of it forgiven, that you know you have peace with the God of this universe. And Jesus says it starts here. It starts by recognizing you can't do it. Just come to me. And, and the rest of us, we get renewed in our understanding of how desperate we are. We get renewed in our understanding of how dependent we are on Jesus, how, how desperately we need His Holy Spirit to fill us and, and to, to guide us. What would that change in us this week? How would it change in the way that we interact with people? How would it change in the way that we pray? How would it change in the way that we desperately seek to have the image of Jesus formed in us, conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, who came, by the way, and lived poor in spirit for us? He became human. He's God of the universe. He became like an infant, desperate and hungry and poor and needy, completely dependent on his mom, his dad. As, he, as he's there and living in this world, then he begins his public ministry. And, and what do we see in him? We see him desperately going to God the Father in prayer. And, and prayer was such a huge part of Jesus' life and ministry. And he's, he's doing these miracles. And he says, I'm doing it in the power of the, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, the, the only human who's ever lived On this world who has every resource within himself demonstrates for us what it looks like to be dependent on God, poor in spirit. And so he's inviting us into the truly happy life of following him in these beatitudes, saying, following me in this upside down kingdom is the only way to true happiness. And it begins here. It begins through this door. Poor in spirit. True happiness begins by admitting my own poor, desperate condition. Let's pray together.